Hey there, welcome to the Courage Cast. My name is Andrea Crisp, and this is episode number 37. I feel so honored that you join me each and every week, and I hope that I bring you stories that encourage and inspire you to live more bravely. And in this week's episode, we are talking about a subject that we don't often talk about, and that is grief and loss. And the guest you're about to hear shares very candidly her story about how she navigated grief when she lost her nine-year-old son, Nathan. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week, we'll share real stories of influential women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, Andrea Crisp, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. It's the new year, and it's time to kick your dreams into high gear. Maybe you spent a good part of last year making excuses why you can't take the step of courage needed to bring your dreams to life. Now, it's not like you lack talent or ability, but maybe you need a surge of confidence to finally break through to the next level. Let's talk about how you can move past the negative ticker tape in your mind so that you can finally walk out your purpose with confidence and intentionality. Schedule your free 30-minute strategy session with me by going to andreacrisp.ca forward slash schedule. Friends, the story you're about to hear is very powerful. Speaking with Karen felt like talking with an old friend, and the way she shares her story of grief and healing will bring you so much hope. After her son died suddenly at nine years old, Karen went on a journey to understand her life without her son. And in her conversation, Karen explains in such a beautiful way the process of grief and how we can create space to process those feelings. Karen now works as a counselor and a Reiki practitioner in Brisbane, Australia. She's the author of the book Courage and runs grief workshops for parents facing grief. Not only does she help families heal, but she is also on a beautiful journey herself. Here is my new friend, Karen Lang. Well, Karen, I am so thrilled that you have joined me today on the Courage Cast. I am really excited to chat with you today, to hear your story, to also share your story with the listeners of the Courage Cast. And you are joining me bright and early in the morning from Brisbane, Australia. So thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for having me, Andrea. And it's nice to connect to someone on the other side of the world. So right before we started chatting, you were telling me that we have a connection and it is such a small world. So why don't you tell the listeners the connection that we have, which is completely unbelievable to me. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, um, I was sitting on my couch with my daughter. She's getting ready to go over to Canada and ski in Whistler, which is where she is now. And I was looking at your Instagram page and I remember her looking over and thinking, why are you looking at that lady's page? And um, she goes, who are you looking at? And I said, I'm looking at Andrea Crisp. I'm going to do a podcast with her. And she said, do you know who's sitting next to her? And I said, no. She goes, that's Georgia, who I used to do nursing with here in Brisbane. And it was just incredible. (laughs) We both just sat there and went, what? It's amazing because Georgia has just spent a week with me here in Canada. We've known um, her family for almost 10 years. And I've been to visit uh, Brisbane twice. And to actually know that your daughter and her (laughs) are friends is just amazing. And, you know, like we were saying a little bit off air, you just never know who you're going to connect with. And, um, it's just, it sometimes is uncanny to me, but mm. it's, it's a small world and there really is six degrees of separation absolutely. between us all. Yes. And no matter what the distance is, it feels like that can absolutely happen. Yeah. And I cannot wait to tell her, but I'm so thrilled that you have joined me today and to share your story. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're passionate about and who you serve? Absolutely. Um, Well, I guess I always like to start off saying I'm a mother and a wife, um, but in my work life, I'm a counsellor and a Reiki practitioner. And I guess Reiki is just energy healing, moving energy out of our body that we no longer need and making space for energy to come through um, and creating more lightness um, through our thoughts and our life. Um, But the other side of my work is uh, 
doing workshops for parents who have uh, also lost children. And my passion for starting that group was remembering what it was like after we lost our son, Nathan, and trying to find a place or a group that understood not only the devastation of that loss, but perhaps more so some strategies or understandings and hope that there was a way through. Um, so my work's sort of diverse and I also absolutely love writing. So that's another sort of little outlet of um, my working life too, which I love. Now you've written a book. It's called Courage. Mm-hmm. I love that title. It's amazing. And, um, and it came out of your journey. So can you just tell us a little bit about kind of um, how that happened, what that's done in your life? Absolutely. Well, when I first, when we first lost Nathan, he was hit by a car. He was nine years old at the time. Um, our whole world was, you know, devastated and, and stopped, really. I remember seeing a title of a book, which was The Still Point of the Turning World. And I thought how powerful that um, title was, because that's exactly what happens when you lose a child, is that you become the still point in the turning world where everyone else is moving and going on and changing their days, but your life has forever been changed. And we just became this isolated group, I guess, that no one else seemed to have had happened themselves. So as I walked through that journey, had you fast-forwarded my life and said, well, you know, you're going to become a writer and express this story or that you're going to help others, I would have just laughed at you. But because at the time during grief, it was overwhelming. But several, several years of just finding amazing mentors and, and being in a place where I could feel it and, and deal with my grief, I felt like there was some sort of meaning behind perhaps expressing that. And again, because I didn't feel like there were that many people in the beginning, I thought what a gift it would be to express what happened and then how I moved through it and probably continue to, to do for the rest of your life, how you move through that and, um, and give someone else hope that um, I know that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And so now you share on grief and loss and yeah. you also walk people through that, that process. Absolutely. I think everyone feels lost um, at the beginning of their grief especially because I don't think we're ever educated on what to do with that, with that emotion. Um, we all know in our minds that grief is a, a part of life. We all understand the impermanence of life. But when it comes to your story and your family, no one really ever seems to be prepared that I find, including myself. And so when those emotions arrive or that shock arrives that it's actually going to happen even though we know it does on other, in other families and in other stories that we see on the news when it actually happens to you I feel like there's a sense of surprise because no one's ever really been taught what that means or and I guess that's something you can't teach because it's a feeling that you can't give to someone but I feel like if there was more dialogue about grief, we would not be so overwhelmed with it when it arrived in our lives. And for you, like, can you take me back to maybe those months after and describe like, what was that like for you? Absolutely. It, for me, it's uh, the word that I felt right from the beginning was disconnection. When you sit in this space where no one else has felt like this there's no one coming to your door expressing that they know what you feel like because I don't feel like anyone has actually felt it before not many children die um, in the western world as opposed to some of the other countries so most people were coming over and going I don't know what to do I don't know where to go and I was thinking but that's what I'm feeling so if you're all feeling the same I, I felt very disconnected and isolated and my husband and I didn't know what to do with these feelings. Um, we were in shock because in our case, he was hit by a car and um, he had uh, massive head injuries. So from that, 
place, he was only in um, intensive care unit for a couple of days while they did tests because I think right from the start they kind of knew from the CAT scan that his, his damage to his, um, his spinal cord and everything was just, you know, immense. And so I think the process for us was just for two days. Um, we donated his organs and literally came home without a child that we had two days ago. So I don't think many people would have to explain what that would might feel like. Um, it's like a kidnapping, I guess, where you just think they must be coming home soon. So I think the shock of sudden death for me was probably the most difficult part. There wasn't that sense that I knew he had a disease or that he was able to, um, you know, we were able to say our final goodbyes, tell them how much we love them. So just even processing that he wasn't coming back was the most difficult part. Um, and the fantasy that it, that you sort of go into that it could be possible that he comes back. Um, I keep experiencing that with other people who have shock and it's so normal. But at the time you think you're going insane. So there's this whole process of downloading the shock and downloading the um, ability to even process that that child is gone. And so for us, that disconnection um, to know that no one else had experienced that left us feeling alone. I can imagine, um, as you're just even saying and telling your, your story, I'm, I'm just kind of shaking my head over here because I, I just don't have any concept of that. Yes. And, and as you're telling me, and I'm imagining being someone in your life and not knowing and not understanding and the loneliness that you would have felt because there are so many other things in life where people do understand yes. and maybe they've kind of encountered something, maybe not the exact same, but similar. And they have a little bit of a roadmap or no two scenarios are ever the same, but Mm-hmm. to not have had that happen how how did you get through it well luckily for me I love reading and so because no one knew what to do and no one even knew where to guide us or even to where the support was back then and that's like 2001 it wasn't like you know a long time ago but there just wasn't a lot of support groups out there um, so I actually went to the library and started looking at books that could perhaps give me some insights. So surely someone around the world must know what to do. Um, it, was, it was good. I guess one of the first books I picked up was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on death and dying. And if you were going to ever pick up a good book to read, it was her. Um, because she was so realistic about what it meant with her work with children um, in cancer wards and her understanding of grief and the stages that you go through. So I remember getting her book, but also her um, her book explained also that with her work with children, she was always surprised at how towards the end they would often tell the staff or their parents um, that they were going. And I guess that beautiful, innocent connection that children perhaps have that we may lose as adults. Um, she described in this book how they knew that they perhaps were going to die um, and they left letters or they drew things or they literally, some of them went up to their parents and said, I'm going to be with Jesus today or I'm going into heaven today. And, of course, at the time, to say it was a sudden death, their parents would be going, that's lovely, dear, but, you know, you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, as you would imagine, I would have said to my son, this incredible story happened from reading her book, though, as I was sitting in the, on the deck and, and, and listening to her word or reading her words saying that they know, I thought, oh, my God, would he have known that he was going to die? So I literally went from the deck into his bedroom and started to look for symbols or signs that he knew. I mean, this is you kind of like in some la-la land world, really. So if anyone listens to this story and can connect to it, just know that this is, I feel like, normal grief that I've discovered. And I go into his room and there's a, um, a 
folder from school and it's got a cloud drawn on the folder and it says Natty in Heaven. His name was Nathan and he wrote Natty in Heaven. And from there, you kind of go into some sort of frenzy of, wow, God, if he has left that, what else has he left? And truly, to me, looking back, that was such a gift because from there I went on and we had to go and collect his books from school and, and different things like that. And I was just this woman looking at every single part of his journey, which was only a small journey. And I found incredible evidence that he unconsciously, totally unconsciously knew of his death, but he was drawing it, he was writing it. And I mean drawing it like an ambulance with a, um, a, a arrow with an angel above the ambulance and then underneath the drawing it had um, a picture of a grave and it said on the gravestone kill cars man it was just one of those moments you just I have the chills (laughs) well so did I and I I think we I think we came to an understanding that there was more to death and life than perhaps we were even beginning to understand and I, I think that is the gift of death is that we, our world opens up to something far greater than we would ever have imagined um, than our daily lives, that yes, people die and perhaps they go somewhere and perhaps we grieve. I just think there's this enormous amount of understanding and knowledge that perhaps we're not really a part of yet um, because we're not evolved. But books... Um, coming back to what I did, I I looked at books and I read them and I immersed myself in stories so that I could discover um, what people did that helped them and what people didn't do. Um, But even then, it's such a personal experience that even though I was getting some information, I still had to wake up the next day without my son with that heaviness knowing that that was a life sentence. And... uh, I think the process of it was more about trying to even just feel some of it and then letting it go and moving on to normal life, letting it go, feeling it, because the enormity of it is too much. So I feel that's why there's a lot of busyness in grief because if you have to sit in that place and feel what it is to lose, then it and you don't know how to do that, then it's easy to go back to something that you already know, which, mm-hmm. is, which is work, family life. And I think that's where people can get caught um, living in that world and just hoping that that grief just goes somewhere within and doesn't get recognised. When you're saying, you know, I have a background in counselling and I know that you are a counsellor, um, but maybe you can explain to people even what that's like when you're talking about, you know, having some sort of normal life and then you are there with the emotion. Absolutely. Yes. Because I think sometimes people don't even understand, like when someone tells them that, like, well, how am I with, how am I with this emotion? (laughs) Yeah. I agree. I'll give you a good, a, a good example of that. Not long after Nathan died, well, as soon as he died, within a week, I went back to work. And I wasn't a counsellor then and my husband went back to work because you want to go something to something that you know feels safe and that you know feels normal. And grief did not feel normal and grief did not feel good. So let's go back to something safe like work and family life. And I had a daughter, Lauren, at the time and I've gone on to have another daughter, but at the time it was just Lauren. So even the silence of... Um, Lauren just being there without you know having the fighting and everything was overwhelming too um so a great example of that was that we went out to a function um it was at, a, at actually at our community church and at the time and so we went in there and there, there were drinking and there was just you know normal conversation and I was thinking I was holding it all together and someone came over to me and said you know something Nathan was you know a little cheeky monster or something really some 
and he was. And so it wasn't a negative or awful comment, but it was like someone named him and this incredible overflow or dam of grief just came forth and I had no control over it. And so I just remember feeling that rise up in me and thinking I'm going to, you know, go hysterical. And I went outside and, of course, then no one knows what to do with that. And so mm-hmm. everyone's like, what's wrong with her? Um, because she was, you know, so strong and holding it all together. And I guess that to me was a really crucial um, indication that you can pretend all you want, but that grief isn't going anywhere. And so from that point, I started to self-nurture and protect because going back to the safety of normalcy of work, of, of living the life that you knew is fine. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I had to start creating space for these feelings to be felt. And to me, that's simply the answer for every part of our grief, whether it's for a child or mother or son or daughter, a sister, because when we're disengaging from those feelings, when we're allowing them to be um, moved out or suppressed from busyness, from distraction, we're really pretending that they're not there and, and I guarantee they will come out in other ways and that could be anger, um, it could be bursts of disconnection where people don't feel like they know how to get through to you. Uh, there are many ways we can suppress it but for me the hysteria of that moment was the gift because I had to to face that this wasn't going to go and that I couldn't keep pretending that my normal life was going to be able to um, support me and that my normal life was ever going to be the same again. That's unbelievable. You know, sitting in with that emotion and the only context I have of that um, is I read a book not long ago by Christine Hassler called The Expectation Hangover. Mm -hmm. And she talks about um, feeling emotions and allowing them to be present. And so often, like you mentioned, we are trying to, you know, move them, put them under, sweep them under the carpet, do something Mm -hmm. with the emotion and get rid of it. And then that's a lot of the time when we are just still we just hang on to them for years and years and years and we can never process through them. And I imagine that being similar, but grief, does grief go away? Do you ever stop grieving? Um, For me, when I talk about Nathan now or I share about his story, I don't think I'd ever say to you I don't miss I don't miss the story that may have evolved because he's trapped in that time when he was a little boy. And so I think there's times when we're all together as a family, my sister, both my sisters have oldest son, where I think I look at that and think I can imagine what it would might have been like for his cousins to be there and what the dynamics would be. You know when someone's been there and then they're not, it's like, what would our lives be if he was in it? Would it, you know, it could have been harder or it could have been easier. So I think there's an essence of that missing them or understanding that they're not a part of that journey. But I think the actual heaviness of grief can absolutely go. And what I don't think people um, in the groups that I know that are around for people is I don't know if people want to let go of the story behind the grief more so than what they're actually feeling because if I let go of the story of grief and become my authentic self through it that means I'm letting go of who I used to be and you can imagine how scary that is it's as scary as finding out that your son has died really in some cases because I always feel like the difficult part of it is that I was this person because I had Nathan but now Nathan's gone there's a part of me that has died as well, but I also have to reinvent who that is without him. I have to adapt to the life without my son, which really does mean who am I in that? And I really believe that's what 
creates people to stay in the story of their grief. And I watch it over and over again. And when I say to them, that's not who you were with your child then is not who you are now. It, it just can't, it cannot be because they aren't here and you have changed. But because they remember being happy with that child or with that father or partner, they feel they need to stay in that place because that's where their happiness was and that's where their happiness has been known. And I'm saying when you step out of that unknown and into, or sorry, if you step out of that knowing into the unknown, you can absolutely find it again in a new way, in an abundant, free, amazing way. I, I feel like the expansion in my mind and, and, and heart has tripled stepping into that new identity even though I still love my son I think there's this whole connection with people that if I lose that part of me there I'll lose them too mm -hmm. you understand what, it's like complicated to explain <laughs> mm -hmm. no um no I, I I'm just I'm, I'm I'm following you and I'm just imagining I'm you know there's scenarios in my mind of friends I know that um, I'm thinking about, which, you know, not often am I just silent. And this has me um, silent. And, and I think it's maybe even a good example of my lack of knowledge around it. And also understanding, you know, how, how do we be with friends that go through grief and um, and loss, and how did that affect your your family dynamic? Oh, in every way, and it's incredible that you say about friends because they were not only grieving the loss of our son as a as a family; they were grieving the loss of us as friends because we changed, and that's what I keep, you know, I guess emphasizing emphasizing about is that that change is is permanent. And people don't want it to be permanent. And so everything becomes clear when you've lost something important to you. Because what yesterday when you were worried about what the furniture looks like or um, how your house needs to be painted, none of that matters when grief or someone that you love is gone. And that's that still point where you start to see the world and see the sky and go, oh my God, not only do, have I not seen the world like this before, but who am I in this world when I'm in that place? And so your friends scramble around not knowing that feeling that you're having, which is completely understandable for me, but also who have you become in that grief? And where's that fun-loving mother or friend that used to be there and now she's not? And so if part of the the, um, you know, overwhelmingness is that not only do you have that loss, but everything around you has changed because you have changed. And so part of the acceptance of that new identity and actually standing in your authentic self in that new identity is that, yes, I used to be fun loving and, you know, go to parties and stuff like that. But now I have to self nurture. Now I have to be inward for a little while and, you know, making those decisions is difficult for everyone, as you can see that picture now. So everyone's been affected by this death, but also everyone can um, heal from this death and everyone can become authentic from this death if you look at it from that perspective. And don't get me wrong, this is not something that everyone could see in the beginning of anything. Not, you know, the coming home, finding out you've got cancer, finding out there's just this total enclosure of this world that you didn't know and then this realization of what's important and where am I authentic in that importance and you have two pathways to take from this place and that's one to pretend and to become um, the person that you used to be and pretend that you can stay in that place and pretend that your grief will never go away or you can be brave enough step by step year by year and step into this new identity and this new belief system and really from there just being your authentic self in that place 
it is a healing factor for everyone around you because it gives them permission to be who they're meant to be. I hear often stories of um, people who have lost a loved one and maybe around the time of the funeral or um, they are, they end up having to console everyone else. And like they're trying to make everyone else feel better. And so they'll spend, you know, hours and hours and hours helping other people grieve when really the loss, I mean, as you, okay, as you just said, the loss is everyone's, but it directly affects their family or their life. Yes. Why do you think that is? Well, that's exactly what happened to us. Um, And I'll tell you what I feel, what it is, because just from being on this journey for so long, it feels like, is that just say that um, you lost your mother at a, at, a, at a young age and didn't grieve and then you had some other things in your life and you didn't grieve and then this story comes within your field, you know, I'm your best friend and I've just lost my son and perhaps you've got a child too thinking about what that might be. Had you not grieved those other issues in your life, um, what you would know is called complicated grief, when this story triggers in your life, and this is why I know grief doesn't go away for anyone who thinks that it does, you are going to be way more affected by this death than someone else that perhaps hadn't had any grief in their life, that Mm -hmm. this triggers something in you that you haven't dealt with. So I had people coming to the door, hysterical, hysterical. And I just remember opening it, in the, believe me, in the end, I did not open the door very often. And I actually got someone to open the door because their grief was just overwhelming me, let alone my own. And I truly believe that the ones that were hysterical were people that perhaps had, you know, ancestral grief or even grief that they hadn't dealt with in their own life because it, was, it, was, it didn't feel like normal grieving to me. And so they mm-hmm. would they would hug me and go, oh, you know, and a lot of it was fear that it might happen to them too. But you're right. I remember sitting on the phone to my sister one at one stage, just crying to her. She goes, You're actually more you're actually <laughs> your grief right now is just trying to help those who are grieving. Like the overwhelmingness of their grief was more than my own. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'd go up to the school. And there were parents just not knowing how to cope. And, yeah, it was, it was fascinating to watch. And I, I think that, that it affects so many people. But more importantly, that because we don't, none of us knew what to do with this, um, let alone me. <laughs> I don't know why it feels like you have to help them. And in the end, I realised that I can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm I'm that person that you're talking about that's not experienced it. Yes. And you know, would come and and not feel as much. Yes. And I have often wondered when I do go to a funeral and I've been asked to sing at many funerals. And uh I often don't get emotional. Um and, you know, and I think, am I something wrong with me? You know, like I'm a pretty emotional person. So yes, I don't, yes. and, and I think because I've not really understood it to that degree that it maybe, like you said, doesn't trigger that in me. Absolutely. Whereas there are other life circumstances that have happened in my life that have been triggered by someone else's life experience where I can see how emotion does that mm-hmm. and how it plays out um, in many ways, you know, whether it be in anger um, over injustice of something or whether it be, you know, that's happened to me and now I'm seeing it happen to you. Yes. And um, it, it's, it's just unbelievable. Like our, the way we process and now you're, you know, completely different place in your life. You know, you fast forwarded many years. Yes. Since that time, how did you get to where you are today in the sense of, you know, becoming 
a counselor and working with families. What was that journey like for you? Yes, well, I think it was probably six years of running around, you know, in that space, trying to be busy, trying to um, pretend that maybe my grief would get better if I just, you know, time. I guess I, I hoped that it would just be time. Um, in my case, it wasn't. Uh, but what we decided to do um, probably changed our lives forever, and that was to go and live in Italy um, for nearly 10 months just for a complete lifestyle change and a decision that I was very grateful to have a husband to say yes to, to leave our jobs, um, to take Lauren. Um, I had had April, uh, my other daughter by then, to take Lauren out of school and just to go. And I think part of me, even though I was still confused about what I was doing with my life, I think that decision unconsciously was almost a, a way of saying, I know you're not going to slow down if you stay in this life. So you're just going to have to go somewhere and do it, which I don't believe you have to do. Um, I just think it for us, it was the right decision. And, you know, we found this sleepy town in Tuscany, which everyone just thinks is what you do if you won the lottery or something. But when we arrived, we arrived with our grief as well. And mm -hmm. it was the most perfect place to um, sit and live and and find that slowness of the beautiful Italians. Um, I learned more about slowing down than I ever would have learned in Australia, which we're all busy here. Um, <laughs> sure, it's the same in in the states and Canada. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, and the it was a gift that we did, we made that decision. It was a gift for the girls. Um, for their view on life and perspective and I started to um, sit in that because we couldn't be busy there because we didn't work um, we just had to be there as a family exploring the world and, and the, our time there and meeting amazing people but um, what I started to do um, I, I sort of got this um, I thought I had an ulcer in my stomach which clearly was a result of squishing everything down and it turned out I just had some like reflux or something but my sister in Australia was saying that she had started yoga and she had met a mentor that understood how our body mind and spirit is all connected and this was really new for me it was like I was um, raised as a Catholic going to church every Sunday so to have this sort of alternate way of thinking about our body mind and spirit being connected really um, I thought spirit was like separate and um, my body was just my body and I started to read about yoga and about chakras in your body that um, were connected to our thoughts um, and this whole process of starting to unpeel this information and the gift of being in that slow pace um, non-working environment was that I was able to absorb and understand this at a greater level had I been back here and someone had said you should read this book and you go yeah 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 that sounds great I think I was ready um, my body was ready to hear it my body was showing signs that my grief was physically manifesting in other areas um, and so when I started to understand the breath and my body and my thoughts were part of one I started to believe that it was possible to move this grief um, through different actions and one was yoga and I guess aligning with that comes meditation because meditation is that stillness in within you um, which then allows you to have those spaces in your day to feel what's going on and if I felt like crying I could cry if I felt like being angry I would look at what that would mean for someone else it was believe me it was like a thousand year process <laughs> Um, I don't want anyone to ever think that it's easy to just step into that. I'll oh, just do yoga and meditation. You'll be fine. It, to me, it was just a daily decision um, when I was starting in Italy to do it. And when I came back, I had benefited so much from it that my motivation increased. Um, I felt more peaceful. I had more um, times in my life where I could 
see that story and allow myself forgiveness. Um, I remember being over there forgiving the driver of the car um, it just and forgiving myself about things that I hadn't done for my son that can haunt you for the rest of your life. And mm-hmm. it, it was just this process of yoga, meditation, stillness that just created some space to see the grief in my life and who I was in a different view. And that's probably just radically shifted your life. Absolutely. And I haven't stopped since that time. So 2007, I started that practice and I haven't stopped. And I seven days a week and I get up now in joy um, and gratefulness that I'm able to, that I have an able body to do that and a mind that knows the benefits of that. And I know it's difficult and I know that there were there are days where you don't, in the beginning, where you just can't think of anything other than just living. But mm-hmm. it, nothing, nothing that we do in our lives is instant, even though we'd like to think it is. Um, and nothing um, is there to really suppress um, the agony of grief, even though we'd like to think there is. And so this is just a daily... Um, choice that you wake up and say I'm going to try it today and tomorrow might be better tomorrow might be worse but just for today I'm going to wake up and think of my life differently and give myself an opportunity to do it better. Mm -hmm. I appreciate how you were candid in the sense of saying that you know it is a process and it's not something that is an overnight um, you know just completely transformational experience. And a lot of times that's what we want yes. as people. We want to experience this huge transformation. And oftentimes people don't understand that it is a process and we are body, soul, spirit. And a lot of the things that are happening in our lives are happening in conjunction with those three things. And they might manifest through our thought life, but they also might manifest through um, aches and pains or stress, anxiety, you know, and it's all part of working out what is actually happening in our body, soul, and spirit. And, and that's not just an overnight thing. It's It's definitely a process. Yes. And an accumulation of beliefs and thoughts right from the moment you were born. And so if someone presents to, to you, if you know, in counselling with, you know, PTSD or, or anxiety or whatever it is, there is never just that that you work on. It's the story mm-hmm. behind the story that I love, that working that process out, well, where did this start and what can we go back to that part in your life and see it differently? And, and you can't see it differently if you're, uh, only focused on what's happening in that space and trying to get rid of that feeling. Um, I always think let's work out the story behind the story, why it even began and change that every day a little bit and and feel those feelings because they're real and and they're overwhelming and they stop people from living and they stop people from loving and it, it disconnects so many parts of your life and so when we disconnect that grief from our lives, when we disconnect the pain that we've experienced growing up, we also disconnect the happiness and the freedom and the love that we so want. That's what we all want. But we mm-hmm. figure if we just can squish the pain, we'll get what we need. And just it unfortunately doesn't work that way. So you have, like everything in life, you know, whatever you want to achieve, doesn't matter if it's a degree or a, or a, you know, an Olympic medal, there's no easy path either way. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I have um, voice students that I teach and um, I notice a lot of the time, sometimes they'll come in and they will be having a really difficult time to sing. And when I used to not really understand much about this, I didn't put two and two together. Now, of course I do. But the understanding behind, I always say to them, I'm like, okay, what's happening in your life? What's happening in your world? You know, and they are sometimes very reluctant 
to say, this is what's happening or this is what, you know, what I'm going through. But oftentimes if, if we do end up having a chat, um, something will come out. And as soon as it comes out and it's said, and we kind of talk about it for a second, all of a sudden they start to sing and everything frees up for them. And, and I say all the time now, I'm like, it, everything happens in your body as well. And so if you're feeling it in your body, something you're not processing some yes. emotion yes, or some thoughts. And, and I think in everything we do, whether it's, you know, singing or, you know, working on a business or, you know, being, um, an artist or an actor and trying to work out that creativity in our lives. A lot of time that flow is impeded by not being able to work through different things in our lives. And in coaching, when I'm, when I am coaching people, you know, they want like, okay, Andrew, just help me to, you know, get to the other side and I want everything to shift and change them. You know, it's, it's hard for me to explain to them, you know, sometimes like, you know, it is something you have to work through and let go of. And it's a process before you get to the other side and you see the manifestation of that success, like you said. Yes. And, and I think if we understood that more, um, we would be probably in a, in better shape to actually understand how we can live that fulfilled, joyful life. Yes. And, and face the impermanence and change that happens all the time. I think mm -hmm. I also want to bring up that word presence that um, you read in every mindful magazine. Um, I just, I love to explain it because I think people tend to go, what is presence? What does that mean? And, how do you even begin to understand coming into presence, which I think is like a lifelong practice just quietly. But I want people to, to know that presence for me is not only just being in the moment, like speaking with you and being present here. And I guess a great example would be that um, we're speaking together, but I'm, I'm still writing a list for the shopping or thinking, where am I going to go today? Or, it's just being totally here with you and listening to what you're saying and, and, and me knowing what I'm going to say next. And yoga and meditation also can feel overwhelming for the grieving person. So when I think of presence, I like to go somewhere where it's still because I don't think you can be in presence without a practice of it. So mm -hmm. just to say I'm in presence, to me there's background building up to be able to even know what that feels like and so just to be in nature sitting on the grass um, sitting in the snow um, I was telling my daughter to ground when she got off the plane she goes where do you want me to ground it's snow everywhere and so <laughs> <laughs> just find a tree which you have plenty of so it's just for me presence to, to practice being in it, it's about being in stillness within, but it's a practice to find that place, which means you have to create some sort of stillness in your life. And that can just be being in nature, going for a walk, taking some deep breaths. There's snippets of it. And over time, you start to feel it within and you know when you're in it and you know when you're not in it. Mm -hmm. um, so just so people don't think that word meditation and yoga, I do I mean a lot of people feel scared about what that means um, but it's just allowing some time even in the morning to breathe to just focus on that you can breathe and that you have a breath and notice what happens to your body when you breathe and relax and relax those shoulders just even that can be the beginning of knowing what presence is and because when you're in that place when you create that place in your life life just starts to happen for you and it's not this chasing hard it's just because you're only focusing on today you know it's so funny you say that because yesterday um I kind of had this you know little revelation in my life and I, I my one of my morning practices is to wake up and 
I have a few things that I do. I try and rotate them around because if I am too legalistic about it, then I tend to not get anything out of it. So I rotate between reading and journaling. Um, There's um, a book of declarations I do um, occasionally as well. I pray. So sometimes I meditate. Um, Sometimes I just put music on. It's, it just runs the gamut. But during that time yesterday, um, I just really had that sense and I was praying and, you know, I was feeling a little frustrated and, you know, asking God, okay, you know, I'm so frustrated and why can't things just change? And, you know, how you just kind of get on this like whole, you know, tangent and it's, it's complaining, 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 you know, like, (laughs) which is definitely not prayer because prayer is not complaining. Um, Prayer is thankfulness. And so, um, of course, after I had my little, you know, tantrum um, and I slowed down for a second and, and I just really felt in that, that still moment, God speak to me and, and say, you know, Andrew, I just need you to be still and not worry so much about what's happening and just actually enjoy your life if you're always thinking about how much you want to enjoy it, you're not going to enjoy it. That's it. Mm. And I went to the gym shortly thereafter. I definitely tell you this, you know, I'm not, I don't enjoy the gym. So, <laughs> um, but I got there and, and that's probably one of the hardest places for me because I just want to get through it. I just want to check it off the list and feel like it's done. And I got to the gym and I was, you know, in my mind, okay, I'm here for like 30 to 40 minutes and I'm, I'm going to be present. I'm going to be in this space and I'm going to enjoy it. And it was so interesting because I started doing, you know, my stretches and then my exercises. And as I'm going through and I'm like, you know, I actually am enjoying this today. And it felt like, cause I'm, I'm here. I'm actually present in the gym, mm-hmm. not thinking about work, mm-hmm. not thinking about what I have to do next. And, um, you know, checking the mental list off as I'm doing something else. And I think, um, you know, we as people, you know, myself, you know, being, I talk a lot about on the podcast about being a one on the Enneagram, which is a perfectionist and how I struggle to let that go. And I struggle to stop striving Mm. and just let grace, you know, um, be what I need. And and that's a difficult thing for someone who has a personality like myself. And, but man, when, when I can, it is so, it just feels so wonderful. It does. And, and it's peace because while we've got all that judgment on and what's going to do next and that I have to do this there is no presence in that yeah and then so it keeps us busy and it keeps us judging it, it, even if you're in there and knowing that this is good for your body just even that thought and I'm just going to be here because it's good for my body exercising is it gives a different slant as opposed to oh I wish I didn't eat that chocolate biscuit last night yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to exactly. have to really work out or it, whatever it is that that self-talk again in the presence you hear it all and it's really not fun and so Mm -hmm. every now and then if you just catch what's going on in that head of ours um you start to realize how much of it is not true because in presence I can accept I have to accept when I'm in presence what is and that's that I'm grieving today that I'm feeling fat today just accepting that that's what you're feeling and that's okay because as soon as you feel that uncomfortable feeling whatever that is for you that I'm not perfect gosh I had to discover that too is that when you finally decide that that's what is you're feeling now and that's true it's almost like you relax into it but because you think you can't feel that I can't feel grief I can't feel fat I can't feel because you feel like you shouldn't be there that mm-hmm. creates the angst, I think, in and takes us away from the presence of what really is going on in you. Mm-hmm. And it, it, there's those, creates those feelings of shame. And yes, yes. which um, I think so many women are trying to navigate. Yes. Is that feeling of shame. And, um, and, it, and it's okay to feel bad. 
Mm, it is. You know, and, and like you said, when you do, all of a sudden you are able to move through it. Yes. And, um, and you're more likely. Put it on the, yeah, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, and you, you're just putting it on the table. It's like, it's, there it is, you know, it's, you know, I don't feel great about myself today or, you know, I didn't do that well and just kind of putting it out there. Yes. And then saying that's okay. Cause tomorrow is another day to do it differently. And if I do feel yucky, well then what actions just like accepting, okay, I feel yucky. What actions do I need to take to do to feel better? And it, it might just be accepting that that's how you feel. That's as simple as that. I feel like when we just live in this day, a whole lot of things can, can manifest differently as opposed to why can't I heard someone say, why can't I live back when my son was alive? Cause that's when I was the happiest because that thought alone isn't true. It, it, it's just sitting with today with what is, and is it true? Is it true? Cause most of the time I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh- you know, I honestly think I could probably talk to you for hours. <laughs> I, I really do. Um, I just, your story is amazing. Um, if people want to connect with you, if they are, you know, want to hear more about your story or get your book, if they, how can they find you? Um, yes, it's um, Karen Lang, um, author.com. And that's my um, book website, but on the book website, it has my workshops, my email address, my Facebook page, my Instagram. Um, it has all the links, um, karenlang.com, sorry, karenlangauthor.com. And um, that will be allowed, allows them to see who I am and to absolutely love to hear from anyone. Yes. And I will include that in the show notes. So those of you who um, want to connect with Karen, even if you're here in North America um, or those, you never know, I might just be breaking into Australia here (laughs) with the Courage Cast. I feel like it's a thing. Um, So I'm just putting it out there. People in Australia. I mean, really like I am part Aussie, so you know, <laughs> you are, and just I'll, embrace me. <laughs> well, they do because my friends of mine who listen to your podcast told me about you, so that was how um, my I first heard about you. Just from people, podcasts are really very popular now. It's, I'm sure around the world, but especially down here, people find that they've got long commutes to work, and so they can put on a podcast. And I know that. Your podcasts are really inspiring because you're always doing amazing subject matter. And so you will become popular down here. Because well, I- Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. I appreciate that. And I have to out my friend because the voice that you hear at the very beginning and the end of every podcast is my friend, Catherine Tenkate, who is from Brisbane, Australia. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. And she, if you listen closely, she sounds um, like she has a slight slight accent with an American accent I actually asked her to do an American accent and not her Australia voice (laughs) so um, when people hear that they always say who's who's that voice and I always tell them that's actually Kate and they're like no so um, for all you Aussies anyone listening from Brisbane knows any people um, any 10 Kates that is my beautiful friend Ten Kate, who is from Australia, so well done. Well, she does a good American. <laughs> she really does. She is um, definitely out for hire if anybody needs voiceovers. <laughs> I can connect you to her. Good. <laughs> so, yeah, Karen, it's been lovely to have you. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Andrea. I appreciate it. I absolutely loved this conversation with Karen, and I learned so much about creating space in my own life and how I can feel emotion and process through it and just be present every day. And she had so much wisdom to share about how we process our emotions, especially when it comes to grief and loss. And what a lesson for us to learn about actually processing through those emotions so that we are able to really live a full life. 
And this was such a powerful conversation. So I would love if you shared it with someone who really needs to hear it. And if you want to connect with Karen, I really encourage you to do so. All of her details, including the show notes, are located on my website at thecouragecast.com. And until next time, remember, you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. The Courage Cast is produced by Stephen Crilly.